2: Yes. In terms of the, is there an amount of money assigned to the death of you that has been offered up? Uh, approximately fifty thousand
1: dollars. A mass controversy, the prosecution violating the rules, and new evidence potentially tying a rapper to a double murder. We do a recap of week two of the YNW Melly trial. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law and Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. I have covered a lot of stories at Law & Crime. And if there's one thing I can tell you throughout all of them, it is that you have to stay safe. And that's why I want to talk to you right now about Palm Pepper Spray because this can really help. This is a discreet but powerful personal defense tool. Palm Pepper Spray actually shoots up to 12 feet and it uses the strongest legal formula of pepper spray. It is super safe. It is easy to use. It is ready to fire. All you got to do is just point and spray. And the best part? We got a promo code for you. You can save 10% by using code lawcrime10 at palmpepperspray.com. And always remember call 911 if you see somebody in trouble. Well, week two has wrapped up in the YNW Melly double murder trial out of Broward County, Florida. The Murder on My Mind rapper, whose real name is Jamel Demons, is charged with the actual murders of his two friends and fellow YNW group rappers, Christopher Thomas Jr., or YNW Juvie, and Anthony Williams, or YNW Sack Chaser. The men were found shot to death on October 26, 2018, after Melly's co-defendant, Cortland Henry, also known as YNW Bortland, pulled up to the hospital with the bodies of Thomas and Williams in the car. But he claimed they were all victims of a drive-by shooting. But the evidence has suggested that this was a staged drive-by shooting and that the shots actually came from inside the vehicle. Prosecutors say that after the four left a recording studio, Melly shot the victims, and then he and Henry took the car to an area where they fired upon the car, staging it to look like a drive-by shooting. Melly then gets out, and Bortland arrives at the hospital. The prosecution even highlighted how the defendant was a member of a gang called G-Shine Bloods, and that may have played into the motive in this case. We'll get into that. But we can't forget that there is a lot at stake here. Because the death penalty is on the table if Melly is convicted. Now you see the law changed in Florida. It used to be you needed a unanimous vote for the death penalty. All of the jurors voting in favor. Now the law has changed. All you need is an 8-4 to four vote by the jury to impose the death penalty. So now let's recap week two. And the week started off with the introduction and analysis of cell phone evidence. Now cell phone evidence is interesting. Why? Well, cell phones, we carry them all the time. They're basically like personal trackers, right? They're used all the time in trials to show the whereabouts of a defendant. But let's see exactly how this played out here in this case with the testimony of FBI Special Agent Brendan Collins, who discussed two phones. And it seems that one phone is associated with Mr. Demons and the other with Mr. Thomas, again, one of the victims.
2: What can you tell us about where the blue phone and the red phone were at
3: 320? So generally in the area around uh, New Era Studios.
2: Okay. As you're moving across the slide, what are we looking at?
3: So we see a series of uh, towers that the red phone and the blue phone were um, observed by as they move from east to west. Um, so you see here's a line of towers generally in this area. kind of. 1595 down I 75 and then the last ones at the end of this line are the, the west kind of by the intersection of e- that tower that's near the intersection of pines and at us 27 the tower is 63035 sector 15 at 357 a.m that tower saw each of these phones.
2: And based on your training experience, what does that tell you about how the phones were moving in relation to one another between 3.20 and 3.57 AM? Yeah, so in my opinion, that's consistent with devices moving generally together. So you mentioned that there are some in which there is red and blue together. So I want to focus in, there's one here, it looks like at the intersection of Flamingo Road and I-75, and 595 rather. The red with the blue. What does that mean when you have them overlaid like that?
4: So that tower saw both the red phone and
1: the blue phone. Okay. So you have these two phones that are seemingly traveling together, and it seems the state is alleging that YNW Melly was operating that phone as it was hitting towers and going to key areas the night of the shooting. There was a map that was presented to the jury, and it had areas on there pinned, like the crime scene and the reported shooting and significantly, the prosecution has asserted that the cell phone data shows that YNW Melly or Mr. Demons, was with the victims about 15 minutes before they were taken to the hospital. But here is the problem that I see, at least for the prosecution. Aside from the defense arguing that the radius on the map is quite wide of each cell phone, and maybe that doesn't accurately pinpoint precisely the location of the phone. The bigger question or the argument that's raised by the defense is that it's not even clear that YNW Melly was using the phone, that it was even in his possession. The defense argued that that phone was used interchangeably by multiple people and was used even after Demons was arrested. Now, the prosecution doubled down on this because they wanted to really put that phone in the hands of Mr. Demons. So what did they do? Well, at one point, We saw some interesting text messages from one of the phones. The prosecution presented these messages to show that this was Demons' phone. I'll give you an example. There was a conversation allegedly between Demons and his mother, Jamie King. Jamie King
2: is sending a text message to her son. Send me your location. I'm in Stewart. I love you so much. He then sends a return the location, showing at or about the time of the crime as to who was using and doing that. Okay, love you, again from Jamie King. I'm at your gate. I'm going to get the trash. The next response is, bring Mariah, which you've already heard testimony that Felicia Holmes, her daughter, Mariah Hamilton, was in a dating relationship with this defendant, and that at this time, and that there was conversations, and that she has identified Mariah as Mariah Hamilton. Then there is okay. It continues. He then asks his mother to buy him a gloss ASAP, and telling her like go now. So she then responds, okay, what's wrong? She says I got your 45. Then his response. I just don't want no illegal gun. Well, that's not illegal. Continuing on, but I'd rather have a Glock 40 or a 19. She says, okay. His response is, I'll pay you when you get down here. She then says, okay. Then-
0: Your Honor, I object to this. Uh, Is she gonna read the entire form? This is not, this does not go to the heart of our objection. This is being done for the
5: cameras. Well, counsel, I, I asked her to put on uh, a prop of what she anticipated, this is what she's telling me and how it's relevant. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so that was the phones. Now let's move on to DNA. Broward Sheriff's Office analyst Kurt Rhodes took the stand. And Demon's DNA, as he said, was not a match on a lot of the evidence that was tested, like a spent casing, a water bottle, sandals, blood stains on a t-shirt and sneakers. His DNA did not match on any of those items. But, Mr. Demons' DNA may have been found somewhere else.
2: On a three-person mixture, on item number 43, squad of rear driver's side door handle. Through. Yes. Were you able to analyze the profile of the defendant, Jamal Demons in this case? I did, And what was your conclusion in the three-person mixture as to the results of Mr. Devin seeing, included
4: or excluded? Uh, He was included. uh, The likelihood calculation, the DNA results are at least 2.12 times 10 to the 8th, or 212 million times more likely if they originated from Janelle Devons and two unrelated unknown individuals than if they originated from three unrelated unknown individuals
2: individuals and what verbal qualifier did you give to that particular item there's
4: very strong support for the
1: inclusion so demons dna may have been found on the rear passenger side door handle of the jeep where the two men were killed now on one hand that's not very surprising because we already know that demons was in that car there's even surveillance footage of him getting into that car after the recording studio on the night of the murders. But if prosecutors can definitively establish that the shooting happened from inside the car and from the back based on ballistics and trajectory and the medical examiner's report, this DNA evidence could help them. But there is something interesting about that DNA finding. And that is that the first test that law enforcement conducted on that handle, it didn't test positive for Demon's DNA. It was a second test that was conducted just this month, just before trial, that was a potential hit. Let's hear the defense jump on that issue of testing.
0: Then you analyzed, did you not, item 26, a yellow jacket, a gator, a bottle, correct? Yes, that's right. And what date did you examine those items?
4: was on August 24th of 2021. August
0: 24th, you said? Correct. Of 21. That was two years approximately after he was arrested. Did you know that? I did not. And those came from inside the Jeep. Did you know that? I did
4: not.
0: And those did not match Jamal, correct?
4: That's correct. He was excluded.
0: Sir, did you know that when you received the blood stain on the headliner, that was after this trial started? I did not know. But you started that in April 25th of
4: 23? Just two months ago? The headliner was, uh, that was prior. Oh, I'm sorry. The item
0: that you uh, received on April of 23 was what? Well.
4: Those were the contact swab, non blood area of rear driver's seats, uh, the blood swab of smear from rear of driver's seats, and the contact swab of uh, front of uh, driver, side door handle interior.
0: And you did not know that was after the tr- this trial started, correct? I did not know. And none of that came back to the DNA of this young man, Janelle, correct?
4: Correct. It was deemed uh, uninterpretable, as well as one of the others. Uh, I did not attempt to generate DNA profile because there was insufficient amount of DNA.
0: And did I hear you correctly that you first ran a test and it did not come back matching our belonging to our contributor to Jamel? That's correct. And did I also hear you correctly then we discussed something about your software with your supervisor? With the technical leader, yes. And then ran another test? Uh, and had a three-person contributor. That's correct. That's
1: correct. And all of a
0: sudden, it matched, uh, or was labeled as Jamel may have been a contributor. That's right. What date was that, sir?
1: first test didn't find DNA, but then a second test may have. And as you heard, Rhodes was sent items to examine years after YNW Melly was arrested. And at times, he seemed to not know where the items were recovered from. And I believe this all goes towards something that the defenses argued. That police conducted a shoddy investigation. That it was sloppy. And so the results and their findings have to be questioned. That seems to be the point that the defense is making for the jury. Now, week two of the YNW Melly murder trial was certainly not without its share of drama, and that brings me to the judge, Broward Circuit Judge John Murphy. So first, he gets pretty irritated when something as simple as the prosecution printing off documents for the defense becomes this whole back and forth. This happened during the discussion on cell phone evidence. The defense brought up the issue that the state had emailed them a report on the morning of court but they didn't have a physical copy to look at so they asked as a professional courtesy if the state could print them off the documents now listen to how that unfolded
2: so I have it in email, that I'm asking for paper form so I can follow along. Understood. Them. Yes, yes, that's right. exactly.
5: Thank you. So can you make copies of for those? I have
2: printed. I found all of them. If there's one that she's missing, I'm happy to do so. Pull them up again. But I printed them all this morning. The pastor's
5: suggesting she doesn't have them. So I just want to make sure she has them. Of course.
2: Them. And that's no problem. So but they've all been turned over via email. This is all, and there. the original copies as well. That were provided. The
5: council does not have the ability to print something out in the courtroom right now. She's asking, if the Council to Trade and Liberty is asking for the copy of it. Let's
2: provide her a copy. I'm happy to do so. I just need to know exactly which one she says she's missing and which one she says she has. I don't want to have to duplicate them if it's possible. None of the documents she's published that so is passed
5: Just do me courtesy. print a all of them out. Okay. Oh. All right. Can we take a break? Well, we can. But can we finish this first? Oh, yes. Bit? I thought so you were finished. You're finish going to make, make copies of all the documents. So she has
2: in her hand some of them. already. So I just want to make sure I don't double print them. Just
5: double print uh, so them. I suggesting she doesn't have them. So let's just print them all. Okay. Well,
2: she does have some of them. Let's try to make sure. Of the rest down down.
5: I don't know, you know, you're saying it, it's, you're saying she's, uh, council suggesting she hasn't received those things. I just want her to get copies of it. I don't want the your, your constant back and forth. She has to Just get her the copies. That's it. It's easy. Just get her the
1: copies. And the judge was also none too happy with the prosecution again when he said that they committed a discovery violation. You see, the state can't introduce something into evidence and use it in their case if they haven't shared it with the defense. In other words, there could be no surprise attack. There could be no ambush. So outside the presence of the jury, this issue concerned the state conducting a new test on existing evidence, and it wasn't shared with the defense. And as you'll see, the judge said the prosecution wasn't playing fairly. Uh, and that seems to me to
5: be a Richardson violation. There's a discovery that's ongoing, you know about it, and you're not telling them about it until we are here in court. Uh, so as far as I'm you know, already this concerned, I think that's a discovery violation. Uh, and I'm finding it to be a discovery violation. I think the only way it can be cured is... He's not going to testify about this second procedure that happened. That's not coming, not, not coming in. You know, that's new, new discovery. You know, The defense doesn't have an opportunity to depose the witness. The defense doesn't have an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. And that's just not the way it should be. It shouldn't be done by surprise.
2: So, uh, so it's clear this was not a new item. This was just this all of the information was supposed to be identical
5: you found it. You did. You had a meeting with uh, the detective in May when uh, we're in hiatus because I'm on vacation. you right? <coughs> Got a meeting with him in May after we picked a jury, uh, and when we're ready to, or we're in the middle of jury selection. You picked it. Uh, uh, you, you did it, and you said, "Well, we." He tells you, or you ask him, "Do you have more uh, you know, uh, uh, programs to go ahead and provide the information?" And you find out there's another program and he runs the program, does a different download with something other than Celebrite, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, you have more information. Don't make the defense aware of it. You hold that to yourself. You go ahead and put on a couple of weeks of de- uh, trial testimony, mm-hmm. and then when it comes up after he, uh, in cross-examination, points something out, oh, you bring it up and say, well, you know, by the way, uh, you know, I told him uh, the detective in our pretrial meeting it came up, and he has the program, and we can use it, and we're doing it, all right. And uh, but you didn't, you don't tell them about it. You just go ahead and hold it, keep it close to the vest yourself. Don't explain it to them, and then you say when it comes up, and tr- uh, try. say, so what was it? I don't have the report yet, you know, and that's why I didn't turn it over to them. but didn't disclose it's coming. It seems to me that's not what's supposed to happen. Not supposed to happen. Period. That's a discovered violation. It just seems to me that this is a fundamental fairness thing. You have evidence you need to turn it over to him. If you didn't turn it over to him, you can't use it. That's really the basic.
1: Now, the drama did not end there, because now I want to talk about Detective Danny Polo from the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Detective Polo works in the gang unit he's undercover, and he was brought in to establish the connection between YNW W. and And the gang, the G Shine Bloods. Again, this is a gang that the rapper was allegedly affiliated with. Remember, the prosecution is of the opinion that the motive behind killing Mr. Thomas and Mr. Williams was to, quote, benefit, promote and further the interests of a criminal gang. Here's the problem, though. Polo was wearing a black mask in court. You could really only see his eyes. Why? Why? because he said it was for his safety and the safety of his family. He even stated that a hit had been placed on his life. Gang work clearly very dangerous, and he didn't want his face to be revealed. Now, the defense took issue with this, because as part of the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution, a defendant has a right to confront witnesses against him, and to have a witness who disguises himself arguably... That is a violation of the defendant's constitutional right. That was the defense's argument. But the judge ultimately ruled to allow Polo to testify with the mask, appreciating his safety concerns. By the way, for our trial watchers and our sidebar listeners, do you remember when we covered the XXX Tentacion murder trial? Well, Detective Polo testified in that case and he wore a mask in court. So back to this one. Polo testifies with the mask on. And we're going to get to the substance of what he said in a minute. But first, the jury had a problem with the mask. And they write a couple of notes to the judge.
0: The first note indicated that was a question. Why does he get to see us and we don't get to see him? So I think that lets us know that it's the mask that's of concern.
5: My, my concern is... Uh second message that the, that the juror uh, sent over where she essence, asked for a woman but uh, so the record's clear it says I need an woman I can't listen properly when I was a child I've seen someone get robbed and I am having an anxiety attack so my question is if she's able to see with it or this is going to somehow call to her thinking that's what i'm i'm mostly concerned with respect to the counsel.
1: Sure. from there the judge actually took the opportunity to speak with the juror the juror who had the issue with the mask seeing something like this because it reminded her of when she was robbed in the past pretty incredible let's listen to that back and forth
5: are you able to to uh to sit as a juror or do you think this is too much for you I'm trying to trying to figure out, and that's why we took a, like a little extended lunch break, mm-hmm. uh, to figure out uh, whether you're, you feel comfortable and you're up to it.
3: Yes, I feel comfortable, but I just don't think it was appropriate for someone to be masked up like that, um, and plus you guys didn't even tell us, like you just you don't know what people have been through, so it just like, it shocked me, like I was shocked, so, um,
5: but I do feel like I can do it. Um, that just was I'm sorry? I said I
3: don't believe
5: that was appropriate. Uh, well, some things, I, I make certain decisions about uh, things, uh, and uh, then we, we go forward with it, and I instruct and are you think you'd be able to follow those instructions uh, and you pay attention to the evidence, or do you think that you're concerned about the, the masking that is going to, affect your ability to, to follow the instruction and follow the evidence? Yes, I can listen
2: to follow
5: the evidence now that I know he's going to have a mask. And the anxiety issue, we're past that, you're okay? Yeah,
0: I took my medication.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before, but it's understandable, right? It can be a bit triggering seeing someone wearing what looks like a robber mask, a ski mask like that. But this trial is continuing on, and I want to now focus on the substance of Detective Polo's testimony, because that's really what's key here. Remember, his testimony seemingly is being put forward by the prosecution to establish the connection between YNW Melly and this gang. Let's take a listen. So
3: there's multiple videos of Mr. Demons claiming G-Shine. Or GKB as a gang that he belongs to.
2: What about adopting the style or dress of a criminal gang? Yes,
3: Mr. Devins was observed multiple, multiple times, more times than I can count, wearing the colors red, the colors green, and um, like I stated, the foot soldiers are told to wear tan or brown. Mr. Demons, there's a bunch of pictures of him wearing this tan trench coat that falls in line with the time where he would have been a foot soldier.
2: And so we'll come back to some of those pictures in a moment. So, um, what about adopting use of a hand signs that's identified as used by a criminal gang?
3: Yes, Mr. Mr. Denns does all the gang signs, <laughs> and he does them very well. He can do them very quickly. A lot faster than I can. Physical evidence would be the okay. videos of Mr. Demons throwing up hand signs. The videos of Mr. Demons saying the G-Shine oath, uh, the motto, um, um, all, all, all the social media posts, uh, references he makes in songs about
2: being a blood. And, um, that's all physical evidence. Okay, so the, I want to go. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, so, Detective follow are you taking into consideration that this could be a character or an act that's put on for social media? No, I don't
3: believe this is an act or a character. This is, as I stated, G-Shot is one of the more violent blood sets, they, they're the ones that are enforcing when other people are false repping, and that's what they're known for. So if a famous person were to false rep G-Shine, they would quickly get checked. There's no recanting, there's no apologizing, there's no one calling out Mr. Demons for being a fake blood. Uh, there's All they could find is support for Mr. Demons for being blood by other bloods.
1: Again, furthering the idea that YNW Melly was a part of a dangerous gang. Now, is that enough to establish a motive here? Which, by law, the prosecution doesn't have to prove. Motive is not an element of a crime, but it helps. It helps tell the story of why Mr. Demons would suddenly murder his two good friends. Did he allegedly kill these two men to show his loyalty? to this G-Shine Bloods gang? Did he do it to promote the gang to further their interests? Perhaps the prosecution will further explore that idea as the trial continues into week three. Well, that's all we have for you right now here on Sidebar, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. We very much appreciate it. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time.